Hey everyone, welcome back to Every Version Ever. My name is Jonathan North, and today I'm back with Sarah for another Little Women adaptation, this time from 2017. When I teased this one last week, I said I was thinking about dividing it into two parts, but I've decided not to. You're just getting one long episode. Which also means that today is going to be the finale of our series on Little Women. We'll do more in the future, but after today we're moving on to another story. But that also means we've kind of saved the best for last accidentally. In this episode, we're talking about the 2017 miniseries. This was a joint production between the BBC and PBS's Masterpiece Theatre. And I have to admit, when I started this, I didn't have that high of hopes. I'd heard some things that made me assume that this one wasn't the greatest, so I guess I just assumed I'd feel the same way. But I'm happy to tell you that I walked away from this one pleasantly surprised. Not only does this version include a lot from the book that is either never adapted or rarely adapted, it has some of my favorite character portrayals of all the versions I've seen, especially none other than Angela Lansbury as Aunt March, who is hands down my absolute favorite Aunt March in any adaptation I have ever seen, and any version after this is going to be hard-pressed to beat her. Okay, so... I guess first thing, we can talk about the cast, because when I first started this, it was like, I don't know anybody. And then I realized I kind of did. A few, anyway. Mm -hmm. Did you recognize anyone? Well, of course, Aunt March. But... Okay, besides Aunt March. Aunt March is the most recognizable. Mr. Lawrence. He was on... Oh, yeah, yeah, He was yeah. on Wives and Daughters, and he was on um, Cranford. Yes, Michael Gambone, and I recognized him because he played Kazran Sardik on an episode of Doctor Who. <laughs> oh, we're just bringing our varied experience here, aren't we? Yes. Well, that was the one that was a Christmas Carol themed. So that one we've actually already talked about on this podcast, because Rachel and mm. I did that last year. <laughs> well, he's the same age as my Grandma Hess. So if you want to know how old my Grandma Hess is, just look up. <laughs> anyway. Um, the, the, the first person that jumped out to me, of course, besides Aunt March, is Joe. Because I was looking, like, when I first started watching, I was like, I don't recognize any of these people. And the more I watched, it's like, Joe seems familiar. So I, I looked her up. It's Maya Hawk who played Robin in the most recent season of Stranger Things. Apparently, this was her first role ever. It makes sense that she's the daughter of Uma Thurman. Now that I see that, I can see the... The resemblance. Oh, I didn't even... I didn't look up family. <laughs> I, that's interesting. And then Amy, I thought I recognized her. I recognized one role. She was in the movie Detective Pikachu. She played Lucy in that, which I've only seen once, which is why she only looked kind of familiar to me. But, yeah. Not and then, familiar to me at all. I, I didn't figure. And then I didn't recognize Meg or Beth. And Marmy is Emily Watson... And she's been in things that I've seen. She's been in a movie called The Water Horse. And oh my goodness, I know that film. And she was a voice in Corpse Bride. So I've seen her in things. <laughs> but it's been long enough that I didn't remember. But she was vaguely familiar, familiar to me. And Mr. March, I didn't recognize him at all. And I looked him up. Apparently he was Dr. Connors in the original Spider-Man trilogy. So, he's much older in this, which is why I didn't recognize him at all. Okay. If you see him without the facial hair, he seems familiar to me, but I don't know where I've seen him. 
Have you seen any of Spider-Man films? Uh, that might be it, if you've ever seen any of them. At least one. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just one. Okay. All the way through, that is. Oh, and I wrote this down, too. Michael Gambone, Mr. Lawrence. You would recognize him because he was the voice of Franklin Bean in Fantastic Mr. Fox. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I don't know if I realized that. No, I didn't either. But then when I thought back on the movie, I was like, oh, yeah. That makes sense. The really evil one. Yeah, yeah. Not just an evil one, but the really evil one. And, of course, Aunt March, Angela Lansbury. Who, the Angela Lansbury. She was utterly perfect. <laughs> she did a very good job. I, every time she was on screen, I I, I loved her so much. <laughs> she was so good. One thing that jumped out to me through the whole thing that I really liked was kittens. <laughs> <laughs> they had kittens everywhere. And, I mean, other versions have used cats and kittens to varying degrees. But it's always kind of a background thing. Like, they're not... Like a main focus. Not that they were a main focus here, but they was they were just everywhere. And I loved that. And on the same track of the animals, they had the pet rat, which this is the first time I have ever seen Scrabble the Rat in any Little Women adaptation. I have never seen the rat. And it's been so long since I read the book that I am underqualified. I did not even remember Scrabble the Rat. <laughs> they had a pet rat, and he's never been included. So when the rat showed up in this version, I was like, what? <laughs> this is the first time I've seen this. Right. And then along that same line, Anne March had her parrot. Which, that's another thing that's which almost I never included. I remember the parrot from the book. Yeah, the parrot had a big role. And the only other version I've seen the parrot in is one of the anime versions. Really? Yeah, I've never seen the parrot which anywhere else. you would else. think that a parrot would be fairly easy to include. Especially if mm -hmm. the parrot's supposed to be kind of mischievous. Yeah, but it's not usually a thing. And I love that they had all these animals throughout the whole thing. That was one of my favorite things about this version. Interesting. What did you think of the music? I liked it. Okay. I liked the choice. It was different because it yeah. sounded rather um, like early American folk. Yeah. But a beat, it was different, but it fit. Yeah. And I liked the beginning because while it could be said to be a little bit more modern with the animation of the flowers or whatever, it... It blended just fine with the flavor of the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the music, at first I didn't know what to make of it because it was so different than any other version that I'd seen. And it, it probably is a, it is a, probably a good nod to early Americana. Yeah, that's what, when, when I started thinking about it, I was like, you know, even though this doesn't fit in with the more theatrical versions of Little Women that I've seen... This actually works. And think about the type of music on a day-to-day -day basis that yeah. they might have had. Unless you're going to the theater, mm -hmm. it makes sense for them to have a fiddle in there. Yeah. I, I, I really like that they went in that direction with the music. I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, that's a, that's a variation that's welcome. Yeah. What did you think of the sisters as a whole? As a whole? Okay, here's the thing. When we started out, when I first started watching the first episode, it felt, it 
it felt a little contrived. It felt a little um, fake to me. It felt a little amateurish to me. Maybe kind of like a play or kind of like a movie done by people who really want to do a movie, but they don't fully know what they're doing. But mm. as you progress in the movie, you're like, okay, okay. No, you're actually doing something here. Mm -hmm. And they put in a lot of really thoughtful little details, some of which probably weren't in the book, but they're trying to tie it in to the flavor of the story. As a whole, I think they actually did a really good job picking out, mm -hmm. like, crafting the narrative of these sisters. Meg... You get that she's a little more well-behaved, a little more lady. Like she wants the pretty, pretty things, but mm -hmm. and she's sweet, and she's feminine. And with Joe, you get this is the tomboy, and she wants she wants to help, and she's on fire. And with Amy, she deserves to be smacked <laughs> and to fall in the lake. And with Beth, she's. You, you have that admixture of she's trying to overcome herself, but yet she's shy and and she's strong and weak at the same time, mm -hmm. which fits with her character. Mm -hmm. She's a quiet, gentle soul who wants to do good in the world and who, who, who wants to relieve burdens rather than cause them. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they did. She wasn't hammy. Mm -hmm. Definitely. But man, Amy, my goodness. <laughs> anyway <laughs> yeah Amy I mean if she wanted to portray her in a way that would make people hate her she did it well it, it, it was like second or third episode before she really really started to come out of <laughs> her nasty little character so yeah. maybe even the third episode I don't know Part of this, part of that, I think, and I, I'm, I'm sure I've talked about this in many other episodes, it's the fact, the choice to have one Amy, mm. one actress play her from childhood to adult, they, you, you can get away with it to a degree with the others, but with Amy, I feel they, they need to. Because I feel like they did get away with it with her, though. Probably, it probably helps that she has sort of a little roundy face. The, that, this that, one, I will say, they did a lot better than others. Because she can pass as a juvenile or as an adult. Yeah, they did They did it much better than others. It's just the fact that Amy, the things that she does, and I know I talked about this in the previous miniseries from the 70s, when an adult plays Amy, the things that she does comes off as evil and malicious. <laughs> Rather than childish. Yes. And I felt like they leaned too close to evil and malicious uh, over childish simply because of her age. Sure. They needed like a 10-year-old or something yes. to play her. Yes. You almost need three different people to play Amy. <laughs> Get three sisters who look remarkably alike and just cast them for each episode. <laughs> that actually would be a good idea. But yeah, that's that's like go. my main beef with Amy, with any of the sisters, really. I liked all the sisters. I didn't like Amy that much, but she was okay by the end. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I liked 
I liked them as a whole. Like, as, as a character, like, I didn't like Amy at the beginning, of course, because of the things that she does. But by the end, I liked her. Now, what did you think of Marmy? What did I think of Marmy? I feel like I feel like she was a pretty good Marmy. Like, okay, I didn't like her. <laughs> really? No. I think that they did a good... I don't know what I was expecting I, from that. I shouldn't say that I didn't like her. I didn't... I liked her as a character. I thought she was a great mother. I just didn't feel like she was Marmy. Mm. She wasn't warm enough, I guess. Oh, yeah, she wasn't warm. Like, she was very loving, and she had a certain strength, but at the same time, they also did a better job of, like, infusing her humanity into this. Yes. That... Because in the book, they do talk about how she has had to overcome her temper, and in this mm -hmm. one, they talk about how she is overcoming herself and, and basically being a role model to Joe in that. So mm -hmm. that's good. So, yes, she's strong, she's human, but no, she doesn't have a lot of... She doesn't have the same warmth. Mm -hmm. She is a she is a self controlled person and a charitable person, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was a good character, but like when I think of Marmy, I don't think of somebody like this. That's almost kind of a big pair of shoes to fill. It is, yeah. Because she was super mom. Yeah. So, what did you think of Lori? I think they picked a pretty good Lori because he mm -hmm. doesn't look too grown up and they struck a bit of a balance between flirtatious boy and but not a bad boy mm -hmm. and they did make him very human but not in a ridiculously melodramatic way mm -hmm. and i liked his relationship with his grandfather here that was sweet and they show the loyalty of it and love of his grandfather which you won't get all the time I don't think <laughs> not all the time no one thing that I thought was interesting about those two in particular was the thing about the piano like they have the forbidden piano I don't think that's a thing in the book and it reminded me of the other miniseries that I watched from the 70s because in that one in the, the grandfather the relationship between grandfather and Laurie in that one is just terrible. <laughs> like, oh, dear. It's the worst grandfather and Laurie I've ever seen. But they have this thing with the piano. Like, the grandfather did not want Laurie playing the piano at all. Like, it wasn't just a specific piano that was forbidden. It was, he didn't want him playing the piano at all because it reminded him of his, of his mother. It was mother? Laurie's mother. Oh, okay. <laughs> it, was, it was ridiculous. But I thought that when, when he first forbade him from going on that piano, I was like, are they copying the 70s, the worst part of the 70s version for this? And it turned out they weren't. They, they had a whole a different thing going on with the. He didn't want anyone to play the piano because it, it reminded him of his lost well, daughter. He didn't, he didn't specifically forbid Lori, though, did he? He just came stumping he, in when, May, when Beth was playing it and then was like, no, oh, I was wrong. He didn't want anybody playing that piano. He's like, yeah. we have a piano in the other room, play that one. But he didn't want anyone playing the one in this specific room because it was hers. Right. And in that one, they had the whole thing where he stomped in furious that he thought Laurie was playing the piano, and then Beth 
fled the house in horror because <laughs> this angry man coming in. I was like, are you going to traumatize Beth in this one too? Thankfully, they didn't go in that direction. I didn't think that she fled. I think she was getting all apologetic and then he was like... No, in the 70s version. Oh, she fled in the 70s yes. version? Okay. She, I, did, I haven't... Okay, people, I have not house. seen the 70s version, so... <laughs> it, it's something. <laughs> oh. Oh, boy. What about John? John, they finally picked a cute John! Ah. <laughs> oh. Was not a fan of the mustache, but I got I adjusted to it kind of as the movie went on. But in the book, John is supposed to be like have dark hair, and in my mind, he's supposed to be handsome. And on here, he was just so sweet and cute, and I was happy. And he's loyal, and he's just he just they did a good job finally. Finally, somebody did a good job, and they actually um, fleshed out that relationship a little bit more. They didn't go into huge details with it, which is okay, but there it was. There was a little bit more to it. And then Professor Bear. Oh my goodness, that's almost <laughs> the piece de resistance. <laughs> he is so cozy. Oh my goodness. I thought the German accent was was good, and I like. You can believe that this guy is from Germany. I don't know if he actually is. Probably not. They didn't make him balding like in the book. Mm -hmm. That's fine. I'm. I, that's fine. They did make him look good in 1800s, though, with the beard and the hairstyle and everything, and the way he just awkwardly tries to, like. <sighs> His advancement on her is, is she interested in philosophy? And could he purchase her, you know, admission to, and, you know, like, hey, you want to, I like intellectual stuff and you seem smart. Like, do you want to go hang out? It was so cute. Oh my goodness. He's so sweet and pure of heart as he should be. Oh my goodness. I love Professor Bear so much. I would have liked to see even more of their relationship development, but probably just because I loved him so much. But mm -hmm. they they did a, like they spent like so much of it was devoted to Lori, <laughs> which is kind of understandable. He's a big deal in the story, but I just love Professor Prayer. I don't know how how likely this is, but I feel like if they wanted to, they could come back and do Little Man and Joe's Boys. Uh, absolutely. Because that's one thing that. I, I don't know if it's ever happened. Where they transition into Plumfield? Yeah. Like, they usually just do Little Women and that's it. And we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves here, but the way they transitioned into Plumfield was smart. Mm. Did we talk about the dad? Poor dad. <laughs> <laughs> they did a good job with the dad because he's this wise father figure who doesn't always want to be involved in the drama. But if he needs mm -hmm. to be, he has his inner strength and pearls of wisdom. Yeah. I thought it was kind of interesting, too, that they, not all the time, but they would kind of cut back and forth between him in the war and them at home. I also like how they made him a person. He's not just, oh, the dad at war who's yeah. a, a pastor, but they had him actually interested in writing, working on writing a book for years, and he was mm -hmm. tending the garden. So 
he's not just here's dad, he's necessary to the plot line, <laughs> but an actual character. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. I feel like episode one is mostly standard. I feel like it's kind of like the pilot episode of a series where it's pretty good. You're maybe not totally sold on it, but you might come back for more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it opens with most of the regular stuff, like Christmas. But and... it was weird, because when it starts, they're all whispering and gathering together in a bedroom, and you have no idea what I... is going on. <laughs> One of the first things I wrote is that the opening was weird. <laughs> right, they're, but they're gathering to collect locks of hair for their father, who is yeah. off at the world. Which, once you actually know what's happening, it's very sweet, but at first it's like, what? This yeah. is kind of uncomfortable and weird. Yeah, I had no idea what they were doing at first. Uh, yeah. Uh, and they do make it a little bit more gnarly because they're actually showing some of the suffering of the war. Not every person's going to do that. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, the war's happening. Too bad. <laughs> Here's what else is going on. <laughs> yeah. I think they did a really good job of putting it into the time period that it was supposed to be. Because a lot of times you get, like, mentions of the war, and of course the dad is off at war, but you don't really see much of that. And I felt like in this version, it's pretty clear what's happening. They made the struggle more apparent, and how that would have affected them emotionally at home, especially when he it does become sick, and mm -hmm. how the, the mother is struggling. Yeah. And how they're trying to be brave. Mm-hmm. And what a flake Amy is. <laughs> <laughs> and the first episode, of course, they're developing the relationship with Lori. And you they don't include this with everyone. But when they go to that play. Yeah. And Amy is left out. And was it a play in the, in the book? I she, think so. And she decides to burn Joe's manuscript. I was about ready to cry. Honestly, that is so disturbing mm -hmm. that's why i say that it works better when it's a little kid because it doesn't come off as so evil you can, it seems like a very evil thing to do you can see you can see how a child would not understand the consequences yes, yes. um one of the things that i appreciated was after joe came at her and hit her and she's like, did you see what she did to me? And I think Meg says, yeah, yes, and you'll get no comfort from me. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that down. I thought that was great. It's like, I appreciate that the family had a concept of just yes. how terrible this was instead of now kitties make up. Yes. Even though they wanted them to make up. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that they did drag it out a little bit because if something like that happened, mm -hmm. It's not going to be resolved with just kiss and make up. Yeah, like, I would be more like Joe, probably, and be like, You're dead to me! Don't tag along! Just go away! I'm really mad at you right now! I'm really hurt! I, and mm -hmm. But it also makes, when they are reconciled, it's because Amy has kind of tagged along, and she falls through the ice while they're ice skating. And... Joe and Lori have to save her. But after that, because when Amy initially apologizes, she doesn't seem sorry. And then yeah, she's and then, she and that's also that's also an indication of a faux apology, I think, when somebody is mad that you haven't accepted their apology. Mm -hmm. It's like they don't understand. But after this, 
Joe is sorry and Amy is sorry. And Amy actually seems like she's sorry. Mm -hmm. So it was a proper resolution to the conflict. But I appreciate that they included that in the plot line. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like it's kind of important (laughs) to the story. And a lot of versions... Not that they gloss over that scene, but, like, they try and get it over with quickly. So it almost goes from the book burning to anger to falling through the ice to kiss and make up way too fast, and it doesn't seem natural. And I Mm. think that this one spent an appropriate amount of time on it to feel the gravity of the situation. Right, like talking about how there's a gloom on the house and it's been days and it's like, it makes sense. Yeah, and they make it clear that it's been days too. Right, like in an actual family, you can spend days being Mm -hmm, (laughs) mad over something, so. Yeah. So yeah, I appreciate that. Aunt March, she was done a little bit differently and (laughs) I liked it. Me too. Here's the thing with Aunt March. She's wealthy and opinionated, but she also understands that she's opinionated and maybe she needs to cut it out a little bit. Mm-hmm. She can't really, she doesn't really help herself, but she might be like, mm, after, like, yeah. okay, I need to cut it out now. <laughs> and it makes it kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, like, oh, what, what was that line about the sermons? Uh, I, continue I, on. I with, know what you. I know what you're talking about. Maybe I didn't continue write it down. on. Maybe continue on with so and so's sermons and not mine. Oh, yes, I, think I was talking about something that they were reading, and she was like, "They do this, and then we'll continue with the sermon, just not mine." <laughs> right. And I, I appreciate, and I think maybe this is part of the times of just how incredibly patient everyone was with how outspoken she was because she could be incredibly Mm -hmm. insulting towards like say their parents relationship and yes she does get told off about that but i think it speaks probably to how much people were taught to respect their elders but also there's just there's also this tolerance of somebody being ornery and opinionated and you don't you're not going to necessarily go to their level but you're not going to lash out every single time and be like, well, don't talk to me like that. That's inappropriate. You're, you know, there is this respect and also this kind of, uh, I'm just going to let this roll off this time mm-hmm. because you're you. And I think it created a pretty good life lesson and dynamic within the family. Mm-hmm. It didn't create constant conflict. Yeah. Plus, she was also just a great source of comic relief. (laughs) (laughs) Like, she had that line about, I think Joe was talking about how she wished she would have taken Meg's lead and gone and been, like, governess or something. And I think she mentioned that Meg was watching Four Small Children. And Aunt Mart said, Four Small Children is a recipe for heartache, headache, and indigestion. And it always was. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my... (laughs) I just every time she opened her mouth, I just cracked up. She probably said a lot of true things in a bit, <laughs> in amongst some of the angry things too. Yeah, uh, not to jump too too far ahead, but like her end, her last scene. Yeah, we're gonna have oh, to yeah. we're gonna have to dig into that when we get to that because that was one of the best parts and, yeah. and a very good segue. So, in the first episode, I, I think I want to blend the two, but in the first episode, are you mainly? Does that when the sickness comes, or is that second episode? Sickness is the second episode. So first episode, it's kind of just the beginning of these different Mm 
relationships. Yeah. Like you said, it's kind of like a pilot. You're introduced to every everybody. And you have the a lot of the main stories that everybody remembers from Little Women. They moved a few to after Marmy left. Specifically, the limes scene. That happened after Marmy was gone. So they moved a few things around, but for the most part, the main Little Women things that everybody remembers happen in episode one. Like when they're kids, not the adults. Another thing that was interesting about the limes was how you do have Amy misbehaving. Okay, first she's doing something that she shouldn't, and then there's this horrible snitch, but she also didn't do what the teacher said to dispose of them. Mm -hmm. And then gets in trouble with that. And it's interesting because you have this balance with Joe saying she should have apologized, but basically he shouldn't have been Mm -hmm. this harsh. So there's this dual accountability. Yeah, and I think that comes from the book, too, because I think that's something that Marby said. Because Marby was originally there in the book for this. So I think that is something that Marby was hitting on, telling Amy that you were in the wrong for what you did, but, but he, he took it too wrong. far. Right. Which I think ties into real life a lot. Mm, yeah. They, they don't have the party at Miss Moffat's on this episode, do they? Is that second episode? Yeah, that's another thing that got moved as well, because that happened towards, I think towards the beginning, like soon after she left, because there was the line about Marmy left Lori in charge of, like, deciding whether or not it was a good idea for the girls to go different places. So Meg had to, like, get permission from Lori or something. One thing we didn't talk about was boating with the Vaughns. That's another thing. Oh my goodness, yeah. When is that ever yeah, in... That's almost never... The pic- the picnics they go on, the boating trip, none of that... I, I can think of maybe one or two times that that's popped up in any other versions. Do you have in the book one of the Vaughns basically not so much saying it, but looking down on Meg for being a governess? That Yeah, that was... Because that turned into like kind of a bonding moment between her and John of him being... Wasn't he kind of kind and sympathetic? And, like, they, they kind I of connected so. at that. Well, of course, he would have already been eyeing her as this pretty girl. But mm-hmm. it, you actually have them having a conversation. Whereas in another version, it may just be very limited interaction that you see between them. Mm-hmm. So even in this episode, there's a little bit of... I think they changed that a little. Because I think they had Meg say something about how she was proud to work for her money. Whereas in the book, I think she was slightly embarrassed about it because she still mm. she still remembers when they were wealthy and she wouldn't have had to work. Mm. So I think they made her a little more okay with having to go out and work. Mm. So I Instead mean, I, of awkwardly admitting, yeah, I'm a governess. Yeah. So they changed it a little bit, but I was fine with the change. Sure. And you also have, I think... Meg loses her glove at that point, and then you have the whole thread of Lori telling Joe later on that he has her glove, and Joe and thinks, thinks it's icky. <laughs> yeah. The limes thing actually started in the first episode because Amy was talking about the limes when the telegram arrived. Right. So basically the beginning of all the threads of this plot. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting that this version actually is correct in that she sends Lori to Plumfield because normally 
they like to up the drama and have Joe be the one to go confront Aunt March, and then there's the whole shouting match. Uh, and, no, they they played it like the book, and Lori went to Plumfield to get the money. They did have her come. Yeah, she did. So that and was that a little was, bit different. And it was sweet, too, because talking about... Because it starts out like she's going to be harsh or something, and... You know, this telegraph wasn't very informative, and she said something like, probably written by a man. <laughs> yes. Be wise to send a woman to, you know, go yeah. see what's really going on here, you know, probably with a little twinkle in her eye. Yeah, I I, I liked this Aunt March so much better than other Aunt Marches. She was just so great. And she also makes sense because getting to a point in your life where you have lots of opinions, but you still have some good mm -hmm. humor intermingled with that. And, of course, Joe selling her hair, they gave more detail to that and how she couldn't... I think they probably hammed it a little bit about how how she was pleading for the money, basically. Mm -hmm. That that was in the book a little bit, but it played out differently because in the book, I believe the whole thing about her them needing to dye her hair in order to be able to sell it was in the book. But the barber's wife was also there, and he's the one who convinced the barber to actually give her the money. She's the one who... The barber's wife was. Yeah. So the barber's wife wasn't a character in the movie. Right. Or miniseries. But other than that, it was done They pretty did well. pretty well. Yeah. And, and they brought out how her hair color wasn't as fashionable, which is like, mm -hmm. that's so insulting. <laughs> Here, take my hair. I must get this money from my mother. Oh, well, we can't give you as much. <laughs> Oh, and they really stressed the whole her one beauty thing. Like they did it more than once on this movie. It was a little yeah. bit silly. Yeah, it wasn't as funny as like I'm thinking of the '94 version specifically when little Amy says your one beauty. That just I burst out laughing at that. I don't know if it was supposed to be funny, but it it cracked me up. This wasn't played quite as funny, but right. yeah, they did. They did mention it more than once. And, of course, John going along mm -hmm. with Marmy. That was a little bit different, too, because as far as I remember in the book, John does not join the war. That's something that I was I thought in... maybe he was already in the war instead of joining later on. And then when about the time that it's done for the father that he is done to... I'm not sure, but they have him talking about joining the war, and I don't think he joins at this point. He just goes along with Marmy, oh, and then in the next episode, he like properly joins and then gets wounded, and there's a whole drama there. So that was something that I don't think that was in the book, but I didn't mind it. I liked it. She needed an escort. Yeah. Like, there's a civil war on people. Yeah, and he did go along with her in the book, but it wasn't... It didn't play out exactly this way. And it also helps to build the relationship with yes. the parents, yes. which was important that they that they be clear-cut on what their expectations were, what he wanted mm -hmm. from Meg and how they felt about it, and that they actually could build a relationship and build some trust. This isn't just some random dude. This is a good guy. Mm -hmm. So episode two starts out with Joe writing to Marmy. Because Marmy has written her, and she makes it seem like it's not, it's not as bad as they thought it was. But you later find out it's not exactly true. 
I think maybe both sides were trying to make things seem rosier for the other. Yeah. And then you have Amy trying to find things to curl her hair with or something, even though she's not supposed to. Curling papers, which I didn't know what that was, but I thought maybe you might. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Probably something you wrap or tie in your hair. I don't know. Maybe it protects against the hot iron. Mm. I don't know. Maybe. And then this is where you have the party at the Moffats. Which I thought they handled really well. Like, there were aspects of this that they made more real. Maybe, mm -hmm. I don't know if raw is the right word. But there were other things that they softened. Mm -hmm. Like, this this party at the Moffats could have been absolutely very, very uncomfortable and a bit heart-wrenching. But the interaction that she and Lori had outside where she's venting and her feet hurt and... Actually, one of my favorite parts of this series, I think, maybe I'm exaggerating, is when she finally takes a bite of ice cream and she's like, mmm, like, oh, you know, like you can tell by the way she's reacting, like, man, this is good. <laughs> and they're kind of, they're just being sympathetic with each other instead of it being super uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You also have a Moffat, I think it was Ned Moffat, talking about... How Mrs. March had made plans for Meg and Lori. I think it was like one of the girls in the book that they overheard. They took, right. So they changed that a little bit. Which is kind of like the secret garden where it makes sense if you're overhearing something rude instead of having it yeah. put straight to your face. Yeah. So that was one change that, I mean, I didn't hate it. but They I made it work because it was basically... It was basically being set out of jealousy because Lori had showed up and... Yeah. Oh, another thing. Just a random observation that I wrote down. That... Because <laughs> all these scenes, like the limes, the party, and then even like at the war, are there's like different scenes coming together. And at one point, John brings Marmy some food, including beef tea. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, is that just broth? <laughs> kind of. Okay, here's the thing. I watched a docu-series or whatever. Um, it was it was where, I think it was Edwardian Farm, where they go back to live like it's the Edwardian mm. era on the farm. And they are going to have a um, football match. And one of the traditional things for them... To drink because of course this is England is beef tea and so they have this whole thing on the series where they're one or two of them are making beef tea to have at this football match and I think it basically is a broth but that must have somehow translated with British Isle immigrants coming over to the United States mm. as something fortifying which it sounds great to me <laughs> like that sounds so good but yeah, it's beef tea is a real thing. <laughs> okay. well, I figured it was. It just, I'm not sure I'd ever heard the term before. And I was just wondering if it was just broth with a fancy name. Here. Rabbit trail. Beef tea was first documented as a beverage in 
1760 in Dublin, Ireland, in an edition of the Dublin Courier. In the 1900s, the tea was prescribed to invalids and was a popular dish on hospital menus. However, it lost its sheen after many people, including Florence Nightingale, doubted its efficacy. And that is from OrganicFacts.net. Hmm. Okay. Either way, just get some homemade beef broth and enjoy it on, on your if you're <laughs> ill or sporting out in the British Isles weather. <laughs> it's like Gatorade, but beefy. <laughs> but better. Oh my goodness. I, I've I've just felt like I've had times where I came home and helped to stave off a cold by having warm homemade stock like chicken stock and it's mm. so good and i imagine that beef tea is really good and fortifying okay. anyway <laughs> <laughs> and in here is when you have the lime scene as well and they've kind of basically given everything that marmy did in these scenes to joe which i think worked yeah she was kind of the de facto leader yeah they also, I don't think that there was a scene like this in the book, but they have Joe going to get Amy's things from the teacher after they decide to pull her out of school. And you have the line from the teacher that I thought was, I don't know, maybe kind of creepy. It was like, Miss March was rather a favorite of mine. If she had apologized or begged, I would have relented. To me, that's not creepy. That just shows you that he has... He, he has of, a weird way of choosing favorites. Basically, it shows that he's just kind of a harsh person, period. Mm. I just, I thought it was weird, and I, I liked Joe's. I think it's kind of almost supposed to be for humor. Like, this is what your idea of a favorite is, this person that you just mm. got done smacking. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did like Joe's retort was... She should have apologized, but if she was too proud to beg, I commend her. I liked that comeback. Sure. No, they. I think they handled it pretty well. And then they had a scene with Amy getting her foot stuck in a bucket, and I wasn't really sure what was going on there. <laughs> she was making a plaster cast of her foot. She was trying to do something artistic. I thought it may be so, but I was like, I why, she, why she, a foot? Didn't she say she wanted to send it to her father? I feel like that might have even been in the book. I don't know. I don't know. It might have been, and I forgot about it, because it was kind of weird. <laughs> I thought it was a good comic edition. And this is kind of the scene where Beth is going around, isn't yes. she? Trying to see if anybody will go to the Hummels with her, and it's mm -hmm. kind of like the little chicken wanting to plant her grain, and nobody's <laughs> coming along, which I think can make you feel kind of bad as you're watching it. But it also shows it actually creates a base for why she's gone by herself mm -hmm. and and how much she does care about these people mm -hmm. like snitching the bread their bread to take to the hummels and yeah they added more detail to that than they they had to but it was done well mm -hmm. and speaking of adding more detail than they had to <laughs> mm. um when she gets to the hummels there's a straight-up dead baby. <laughs> and you see it. I, when I talked about the miniseries with Lisa, she was, like, shocked that they showed this dead baby, and it, it was just the, a bundle. Like, she was holding a bundle. You don't see the baby. This one, you see the baby. It is dead. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, they went the extra mile to make this thing look realistic. 
I wasn't shocked by it, and I think I also had the the prelude of you talking about because it has been so long since I read the book, talking about how heart wrenching mm-hmm. it is in the book. Oh, and yeah. with this one, they don't make it over the top, but they they make it logical. Yeah. Because okay, you show up at a house, you're maybe thinking. Is the baby dead? Can I save the baby? I have to do everything that I can. I have to get to the doctor. So you see her taking mm-hmm. the baby to the doctor. And then at some point, you see the doctor closing the baby's mm-hmm. eyes and then saying, now I need to examine you. <laughs> yeah. No, this the scene played out differently than it did in the book, but I liked the changes that they did. I thought they made it, like you said, a lot more realistic, especially with the way that she took the baby and ran to the doctor and then... It just makes sense how that could happen. Yeah, exactly. I thought they did a great job with that. And then they didn't go over the top with her coming home dramatically Mm. like they have done in other versions. (laughs) It just makes sense. Like, if you're getting sick, yeah, you come home and you don't feel well and people find out about it. Yeah, that's one of the benefits of this being a miniseries over a movie. Because the movie, they've got to tell the story a lot quicker. So Mm. they kind of, for that type of thing... They don't. Uh, they probably don't feel like they have enough time to have her slowly get sick. So they have this dramatic scene where she's coming in dying. Right. <laughs> but yeah, generally not what happens when you get sick. Yeah, they played it Thankfully. a lot more realistic here, and I I appreciated that. And like you talked about before, they actually started to build the relationship with Lori here more, which they already kind of had before, but with him inviting her to go skating. But with this, the whole, she has to go be quarantined with that March. She doesn't mm-hmm. want to go. And he promises to visit her every day. I like the, I like the line about something like, I hope everyone realizes that I'm making a very great sacrifice. Yes. I wrote that down. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> yeah. Amy has to be convinced to go live with Aunt March. And that line about <laughs> as long as everyone remembers, I'm making a great sacrifice. And then having her at Anne Marches being nibbled by the parents. (laughs) And and, and wondering, can she put him down? But how he he may want to take revenge if he senses any. Yeah, she asks Anne March if she can put the parrot down. And Anne March says, very well. But if he suspects that you don't admire him, he will devise a method of revenge. (laughs) (laughs) I love the way Anne March talks. (laughs) The voice of experience. (laughs) Oh, she's so great. I love her. Yeah, and also developing the relationship with Aunt March there, too. Mm -hmm. Yep. Which, that's another thing that... Well, we'll get there. That was another thing that was changed. The whole going to Europe thing. That's... Yeah, we'll get there. This is also where you get Mr. Lawrence visiting and telling Hannah that... Mr. March is worse than they suspected. And he has, I think he said encephalitis or fever of the brain. That sounds right. And yeah, so. I'm not 100%, but that sounds right. So the girls don't know quite how bad it is. Well, at the same time, Marmy probably doesn't have a clue just how bad it is at home. Uh, yeah, I don't think, does she even know at this point? Because Lori had tried to convinced Joe to telegraph her, but she didn't want to. And she doesn't get telegraphed until after the doctor says she needs to 
Well, Joe's about to and then finds out that Laura yeah, already did instead of being instead of flying at him in gratitude, she's upset because he did something behind her back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they work through it, I guess. Yeah, Beth Beth gets worse and worse. Because this this takes place over a long period of time. Again, a benefit of it being a mini series. But Beth just keeps getting worse. And I thought they did a really good job with her like actually feeling like she was sick like they have a line about she doesn't look like beth anymore because sometimes when you have a sick character they don't feel like they're sick it's just they're lying in a bed maybe moaning a little bit mm. i don't know if they did makeup or what but she looked like she was gravely ill and then also how they're trying to protect her from going blind keeping the room dark i believe mm. and that whole thing of when she's with Lori and um, grandfather has sent along Claret for her, and then Joe starts to rebuke Lori about how she can't drink this. Like, this is this bad. Mm. And it fits in with how somebody might interact with another person in that situation. Like, you don't realize just how bad this is. Like, mm-hmm. you can see his good intentions, their good intentions, and Joe's desperation. Another thing that you have mixed in all throughout these is like Amy is with Aunt March so there's the scene of her playing dress up with all of Aunt March's things. It was so bad oh my goodness. Well that, that part was fine. Well there was a line here that I thought was interesting that I do not remember from the book where she pulls out a bracelet from the only baby she ever had until it died. And she looks absolutely not sorry about it at all. I hate the look on her face was so flippant and uncaring. But was that from the book? I don't remember. Like, maybe I'm misremembering, but I thought Aunt March never married and never had kids. You've been the one rereading it. I don't remember. Okay, yeah, that's that stood out to me just because I don't remember Aunt March ever getting married or ever having kids. I just thought that was kind of strange that they kind of included that as sort of a throwaway line almost and like you said with the way she said that to me the way she was talking was almost coming off like she was flirting with laurie throughout that whole thing and i thought that was a little weird she tended to have that just sort of flippant um i don't know headstrong maybe thoughtless Mm -hmm. look in her eye and then she transitioned like i don't even i don't think there was anything in between that like talking about this apparently dead baby and then she like flips the switch and she wants to talk about her will like she wants laurie to witness her will which that was definitely from the book right. but it just seemed very sudden because in the book i mean because it's a book you get more of like her internal thoughts and her thought process of why she's coming up with this will so it's not out of the blue but it just seemed kind of out of the blue here but i did like that when he's going over it the whole will is basically just a long list of apologies. <laughs> like, this I did this bad thing, so here, I've died, you have this thing This of is mine. the beginning of her reformation, <laughs> yes. kind of. Yeah. <laughs> and they're having a discussion about how they both feel like they could be better people. Yeah, yeah. So after this point, I don't know how long has passed, but it's now winter, and the doctor says they've got to send for their mother. And then Joe finds out that Lori has already done that. 
because he's already figured out they can't wait any longer. So she's already on her way. And then the scene with the claret, and this is where Joe, I think where Lori first tries to make a pass at Joe, and she's not into it. Mm -hmm. I don't ever remember them kissing in the book. I didn't either, but they have a kiss here, and then she stops it, and she's like, please just be my comfortable friend. <laughs> There's a line. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have Beth seeming like she's about to die, and then Marmy is coming, and she's running, and then Hannah comes out and says her fever broke. One of the things that stuck out to me was the conversation between Joe and Meg talking about how if this is the way life's going to be, I don't know how we shall ever bear it. And, but, of course, they get through it. And, mm-hmm. and then she dies later on. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> this is where you get the scene. After they've reunited and Beth is getting better, this is where you get the scene of Joe telling Marmy about the glove. I figured. And how... What's in, the interesting thing about this is that they've already approved of John mm-hmm. getting together with her, but it has to be three-year courtship, and how, you know, Meg will learn to love him. That seemed like kind of like, and it was an interesting line thrown in there, like, I mean, it was true, but... Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember the exact line, but she basically says something like, good men are hard to come by, so Joe just needs to get used to the idea of them getting married eventually. I don't know, they, they had a slightly different handling of this than the 40s version. <laughs> but they did they did talk about it more, which was probably mm-hmm. good. And I suppose maybe part of that portrayal is maybe a reference to Meg not being fully grown up and not, not having mm-hmm. the same grown up I, feelings. I believe in the book she's 17 at this point. So which you can, totally be, you can totally be in love at that age, but for Meg... And you can see her already caring about John, but apparently just not realizing that quite yet. And her character may have been, even with all of the responsibilities and everything, she's portrayed as, I don't know, maybe a little bit of a a flirt and maybe she maybe needed to mature a little bit Mm. more. Yeah, I can see that. But at this point, after the whole scene with... Joe being told basically she needs to get used to it. She just throws herself into her writing. She ends up finishing her book and takes it to get it published. This is where you get the scene where Lori thinks she was at the dentist. They did change this, though, by taking a lot of that conversation, and I think they've had it in the previous episode, and here, he's like, he's genuinely happy for her, rather than in, I think, in the book. Like, not realizing how much this means to her. and Which they do infuse that into the plotline, too. But here, I think, here they do have yeah. it be more celebratory. Yeah, he's genuinely happy for her. They also have the conversation in this version about him not going off and getting involved with bad people. Yeah, that was the, that was the scene. The, the stuff that they took out of this conversation, that's what they put into the previous episode. So that was the whole, when they were, they were like, riding in a carriage home. So they took that from this scene, put it in the previous episode, and then shortened this down to him just being happy for her. Just because that they included it. Yeah. And then he tells her that the reason that he's come looking for her is because she's needed a home. Because this is where Beth's piano has been delivered. And also their father is home. Nice. 
So then it's spring, and John is visiting because he's leaving for war. He's here to see Meg. They did this a little bit differently, but they did okay with it. Mm -hmm. It did make me smile. <laughs> yes. They're cutting between these two scenes because you're also at Aunt March's, and this is where I think Amy is preparing to go back home at this point, and Aunt March is telling her that she wants to talk about her and Joe's future. She wants Amy to be her companion, and she's made up her mind, and she's going to go talk to the parents about it. Mm -hmm. And she also has a line here where she calls Joe a great ungainly windmill of a girl. <laughs> 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 so then you're back at the marches, and John is basically pledging his love to Meg. Undying. Yes, and he says he'll wait for her to love him, and... <laughs> she says, what if I don't choose to? And I will try to bear it. <laughs> like something like he would just have to bear it or something. It was semi-pitiful. He was being very brave about it, and she was being a little bit flaky, and she's just like, ah, I don't know. Ah. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the book, he could tell that, like I've, we've talked about before, he could tell that she cared for him, and she was acting kind of shy and awkward, and that made him smile, and then that made her lash out. Like, and it was like, also it was also kind of at Joe's prompting that she was kind of playing. I don't know if you would say playing hard to get, but Joe was kind of behind her behavior in that scene in the book. Whereas this one, I don't know, they almost softened it a little bit. Yeah. But uh, as usual, Aunt March comes along <laughs> to save the day with her grumpiness. <laughs> she marches in. Explain the presence of this military man. <laughs> <laughs> if you harbor thoughts of mischief to my great niece, I insist that you divulge them. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> and she, once again, she wants to talk about how silly she thinks uh, their parents' relationship was, and Meg defends mm -hmm. them, and you know, basically confesses her love for John, and and she basically threatens to disinherit her. And which Meg says... Which provokes lo Meg's loyalty. <laughs> yes. Meg says, I will marry who I please, and you can leave your money to whoever you like. <laughs> and Aunt March replies, There is a defect of character in young people when they are engulfed by intimations of romance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And then, of course, you have John... Saying something like he didn't realize that she loved him. and She didn't or, realize until just then. I didn't know I did until she abused you. <laughs> <laughs> and then everything's honky-dory between those two, basically. They don't, really yeah. have, they don't really have conflict between them. They have, you know, him going off to war yes. and getting injured. And it's all, you know, and the girl singing sort of inspiring song or whatever. And Yes. John leaves for war, and Lori leaves for college, and Joe keeps writing. And I'm not sure how much time passes, but you have her being published multiple times because she's clipping out multiple stories from, mm -hmm. the, from the newspapers. And Amy is continuing to get better and better at her art, and then John is wounded. So he ends up having to come home. And then Joe gets an offer to publish her novel, and this is where you get the scene of her talking to her dad, and you find out that he's actually been writing, too. 
and he says that he's been writing for 20 years, and it's starting to bear fruit. He reads, like, the offer, and he they, they want, like, significant changes. And he says that she shouldn't spoil her book for $300. Basically doesn't want her to sell her artistic soul. Yeah. And then she tells him how much what she's already written has paid for for them over the years. And she doesn't have the luxury of waiting 20 years. She's to get basically not having it. Yeah. So then you have the wedding. And you get more of... Marmy here that I don't remember in any other version because she's having trouble coping. Right, her girl's growing up. Yes. Another thing that's interesting about this is while you have the happiness of the wedding, you can see Meg not, not Meg, but Beth not doing well. Yes. So they're already starting to hint at that. Yeah, and I liked that. They didn't have her like fully recover, which is true to the book, but they had it visible in this version. Like she gets better, but she's not better. She's there and she's happy for them, but she can't fully participate. Yeah, she's just kind of sitting off to the side of everything that's happening. I did like how since Aunt March had basically sworn off this wedding, she wasn't at the wedding. She's outside when all of this is taking place because they're getting married in the house and you have her like shooing a chicken off the wedding table. <laughs> so she comes in at the end after they've kissed and she presents her with pearls, which you had seen in a previous scene with Amy talking about yeah. these pearls were going to be given to the first girl to get married. Engaged. She was late. And she basically apologizes, gives yeah. the pearls. And she, she says, although I do not care to, I entreat your pardon. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of need that line. I, I liked her. I liked all that. And then she dances with Mr. Lawrence, which was kind of cute. Mm. Is that where that episode ends? Basically, you have people talking about Beth, because like you said, she's off the side. She's looking kind of sickly. And I didn't write down who said it. It might have been Lori. I don't remember. But somebody says, because I wrote this quote down, she'll be all right. She'll dance at your wedding to Joe. Mm. And Probably Lori. Yeah, and Joe replies, there should be at least one old maid in the family, and I've made up my mind that it'll be me. <laughs> and she doesn't want any more talk of love. So that's where that episode ends. So episode three picks up a year later. Joe has sold her novel, but it didn't do that well. And Meg is now pregnant. Meg is huge in this scene. Which makes so much sense, because later on you find out it's twins, which mm. I already knew it was twins, but... Yes. And then you get the one the one thing that I'm I don't like that they changed, which I guess I get probably it probably had to do with Angela Lansbury's age and her ability to travel. But you have Aunt Carol visiting Aunt March. Like, mm -hmm. who's Aunt Carol? <laughs> this is this is one thing that I think they might have pulled out of the seventies the miniseries because in the seventies miniseries Amy travels with Aunt Carol, who you never see. She is not an on-screen character. Aunt March mentions her once. Yeah, it's kind of like Alice with that weird plot line with the, the romance getting thrown in. Uh, yeah, kind of. But I wondered if they just took this, that mention of Aunt Carol out of the 70s miniseries and just fleshed her out into a full character for this one. Because 
She's visiting Aunt March, and they need somebody to go along with them to Europe. And they're going to take Amy. So well, She already had a daughter. I think she was just going to be a companion. Okay. I do... Okay. Moving back real quick. One of the interesting things was, was Hannah's concern for how big Meg was. And basically it's implied, is she going to be okay giving birth mm, yeah. to these twins? But fast forward to this situation. I actually kind of liked how they had this play out at the dinner table of, instead of in New York, like in the 40s version, mm-hmm. how she's being passed over and she lets it out that she's upset. She doesn't just try to brush it under the rug. And I like how her mother comes along and it's like, it would be really hard on you to spend a year pretending to be somebody else. And like, I feel like they created sort of this resolution of like, yeah, "Yeah, you're upset, but this is probably for the best. Mm -hmm. You know, help her feel a little bit better about it, even though she was upset. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Like, Amy is the better better person to go with Aunt Carol. (laughs) (laughs) Joe, Joe would have been... I mean, she would have liked the trip, but she would have been miserable trying to pretend to be them. Because you have that whole scene of them, like, visiting Aunt Carol, and Joe is like, she makes zero attempts at pleasing Aunt Carol. At the same time, if it was Aunt March, there is a greater sting there of, like, yeah, you sort of get it, but she had been the companion. Like, in the 40s one, is really bad, because... They, it was kind of sudden and sprung upon her while it was happening. Right. And how they had talked about her already doing this. And, like, this one, they they, they segue it in a more gentle mm-hmm. way. Which I think is closer to what it was in the book anyway. Because in the book, she was not in New York when when that was revealed. Like, it was long before she even thought of going to New York when Amy was chosen to go to Europe. And had she already thought that she was going to be the one instead of Amy? I mean, she did earlier on, but... But to have it switch was still a a sting. Yeah. But that that whole thing was over with long before she went to New York. Mm. And then in that scene where... Around that scene when they're all talking about Amy going and Joe not going and she's upset about it. So there, this is about where Meg has the baby. And then I liked the scene between Meg and Marmy and like, uh, talking about. Oh my like, goodness. When I hit the birthing scene, I was not in the mood for a birthing <laughs> scene. It's like, okay, I need to push out two giant bowling balls. Ah, you know, and just, I, I don't know, maybe I've just seen too many birthing scenes. I liked their interactions, like their dialogue, like talking about how did you survive this. And I thought it was a nice scene between the mother and the daughter. I, but I can see of, why. It was kind of awkward how she was like not really wearing much of anything. Like it's probably true to life. Yeah. But it was a little TMI. Um, and yeah, I know it was supposed to be this inspiring scene. New life springs eternal and the bond between mother and daughter. And I wasn't really feeling it. But, you know, <laughs> I can understand how it would be heartwarming and all that stuff. And then, of course, like we said, it's twins. So that's where that scene ends. Yes. And then Amy leaves for Europe 
and Lori tries again with Joe, and she's not having it. And she basically says she wants to leave. She wants to go away. She wants to be a nurse. And Marmy doesn't believe her. She wants to know, like, why... What's why going you, on why here? Why do you want to leave? And she tells her everything about Lori, and she also talks about it. She wants to get away and experience more to enrich her writing. Here's another thing. I don't know if this is true the book. This is so sad-ish. Um, but I also kind of liked the way they handled this, of her being like, I'm never going to love Lori. I just know it. And the mother being like, good. And here's why I think this is good. Mm -hmm. And basically encouraging her that way. I don't think it played out exactly like that in the book, but it was similar enough that it felt true to the book. I just, it was kind of a nice way to handle it. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing that I thought was kind of interesting during this whole conversation with her mother is she says that she thinks that Beth loves Lori. Which I think also was in the book. Yes. And that's something that I don't think I've ever seen any other version touch on, is Joe's misunderstanding of Beth's feelings towards Lori. Whereas for Beth, it was just enjoying seeing him be so healthy and full of life. Mm -hmm. Not having feelings. Yeah. And I just thought that was kind of interesting that they decided to include that. Another thing they included very briefly was the jam-making scene, which they didn't make much of it, but they included it. Right, with Meg. Yeah. And wasn't that the one that led into the marital argument? Or was it? I remember she was having a frustrating day in the kitchen and he came I think it was. And he came home with an unexpected dinner guest. Yeah, and she it was. was just not up for it. But with this one they did a good job of showing her attempting yeah. to manage the kitchen and having a really hard time. Mm -hmm. But they were really subtle about it. You just see like the look on her her struggling with the pot and this look on her face as her jam is like really runny and yeah. So that was good. That mm. was nice that they add that little domestic touch. So Joe leaves for New York. She's going to be a governess for Mrs. Kirk. And Lori had a line about you'll hate New York or something like that. I thought it was interesting, too, that Joe was like, she doesn't need a governess. Like, if, if her mother hadn't been friends with this person. Mm, I never thought about that. <laughs> Which I don't know if that's how it was in the book or not, but either way. And then you also have her, when she gets to New York, a lot of the stuff that you have, like, play out naturally in the book turns into a letter that she writes home, which I thought was a clever way to condense some of that stuff. Because mm. even though this is three hours, like the, dinner the book table? is still very long. Like the dinner table scene, where her talking about a veritable babble, and the French people, and the Norwegian mm, yeah. people, and... Yeah, and she writes home and talks about all the things that are happening, and she mentions this professor, and you have this, like, the camera's, like, watching Lori. Yeah, and, and he's he like, ah. Uh -huh. Poor Lori. And I liked that you had the kids all playing together with Professor Bear and Joe. I liked that they all kind of became a friend group, which, that's not... I mean, it should be, but that's not something that gets much focus in many of the versions, like the kids all playing together. Was he already raising nephews yeah. in, in this book? I think so. Wow. Which they didn't include in the 40s version. That's another thing that not every version does. 
that's it's it's one of the things that it's like 50 50 if it gets included mm. and then you also have her trying to publish things in new york and she's told that stories of sisterly love won't earn her much but bring them more stories like these and i'm presuming that they're like her sensational mm -hmm. adventure yeah, garbage stories. Yes. <laughs> And this is where you get Professor Bear inviting Joe to a philosophy debate. Which is adorable. Another thing that you have here, too, is she starts getting published, and Amy is reading The Weekly Volcano in Europe. And I don't think that's from the book, but I kind of liked that, that her stories are kind of making their way around the world. <laughs> <laughs> and this is another thing that it's sort of like the 70s miniseries, where Professor Bear's... I don't want to say a rant, because it wasn't like it was in the 78 miniseries. Because in the 78 miniseries, he was, like, full-on ranting and raving about the Weekly Volcano. But here, it's kind of... he. She doesn't really ask him to look at this. He just, unprompted, is upset about He has the a little rant, because yeah. he sees that the paper that they were doing their little craft over has this garbagey story. Mm -hmm. And it's probably something that I would do of, like... This shouldn't be around kids. I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna get rid of this. Like he burns it and I'm not quoting him verbatim, but I yeah. can just see how I might react in a situation of like this isn't good for kids. This that, that I you know, this makes me upset. Mm -hmm. But here she immediately she like tells him why she's writing this. She's writing it for her sister. She's not doing well and she's trying to save up for a trip to take her to the ocean, which she's hoping will do her good. And that he would understand that, basically, because he's lost mm. a sister, I think is what they're intimating. Hmm. I didn't remember that, but it could be. But I liked how they handled that, because even though it played out differently with her, she, it wasn't a case of she asked him to critique her work like it was in the book. I liked that they didn't turn it into this melodramatic massive fight like they did in the 70s miniseries it doesn't need to be no and they, they both respect each other yeah because he later apologizes and he brings her shakespeare and says he entertained people but he also created such beauty and basically says something like she shouldn't be doing one without the other okay yeah. i think you you grasped that more than i did when watching it like, the 40s one handled it really well because he's trying to rebuke her kindly and she can't really take it because she's going through a hard time. But at the same time, she's explaining in a really gracious way, like, this is why I do this. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's there's great mutual respect between those two characters and it's very sweet. Mm -hmm. And at this point, this is where Joe is planning to go home and she says that she'll be back in four weeks. Which I didn't remember her saying that in the book. And I thought when she said that, that was like, oh, they're changing this. It's like, she's going to go back to New York? No, she doesn't make it back to New York. When she's leaving, he seems to put some flowers in her hand. Some little blue flowers, which later on you see that she's pressed in her book of Shakespeare. Mm. And they're all dead and everything, but they're pressed. <laughs> but they weren't forget-me-nots, so I don't know what, you know, if anybody knows, let us know. Whether there was some special significance with the flowers or or what. Hmm. So back home, Laurie is done waiting. He's demanding an answer. And she basically, she's trying to be nice. She says that 
he's always been good enough. She just does not love him the way see, that he wants her to. See, here's here's one of those things. It's really interesting how they brought this out. How he was trying to be good enough for her. He was trying to like be a good enough person. He was trying to do his hair in a way that she might like. And it just... It was a hopeless situation of no matter how it went, no matter how hard he tried. And that's a that's a really terrible way for somebody to feel. And mm. and I it's good that she said, You've always been good enough. One of my favorite parts of this scene, okay, A, they also have him crying in this scene, like like straight up. But one of my favorite parts of this scene is when she's like, I'd kill myself if I thought it would help. And he's like how would that help? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, they can't. I mean, this is probably realistic to life. They they just they don't end this scene. And here's another thing: they don't they don't end this scene in a not awkward way, kind of like the sentence structure. <laughs> but one of the things that I can also looping back to the '40s when you keep looping back to the '70s when I'm going to keep looping back to the '40s when. She tries to explain to him in the 40s one why she doesn't think it's going to work. Whereas in this one, she just keeps asserting like, she asserts that, oh, yes, I've tried and I can't. And I'm not going to try and force myself. But she never explains, you know, I don't think that our temperaments are going to work out together. Mm -hmm. Which would have been kind of handy in this scene. <laughs> mm -hmm. At least he'd give him a little something more to go off of, except besides, I can't love you, which is not a good line to wander off with. Like, no matter how hard I try, I can't love you, and I'm not going to make myself. <laughs> like, oh, great. What I really did enjoy was how they treated Laurie's emotions in the scene with his grandfather, when he's mm, absolutely yeah. miserable. Yeah. And I appreciate because this is so universal. Like, this is so... So much the story of got to be millions, billions of young people of getting into a situation where it's not going to work out and you feel absolutely miserable. You probably don't know what to do with your feelings or yourself and how the grandfather, he's not, he's very wise about it. He's like, mm -hmm. go, you know, go to Europe. And he's like, well, basically he thought he was going to be going with Joe yeah. from the sounds of it. And, and the grandfather is like, I know at least one person who would go to the ends of the world with mm. you. He's like, who? Me. He's like, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and that was so sweet. Yeah. And how he talked about how he had been through this and how Lori's father had been through this. And so he can't fix it, but he's he's basically giving him the tools to move in a, in a healing direction. Mm -hmm. Without berating, without laughing, without anything just being understanding and calm yeah i, I really liked their relationship <laughs> he starts playing the piano and he says something like may i suggest that you do not play the sonata pathetique or something like that because <laughs> he starts playing this sort of emotional piece <laughs> basically just do yourself a favor here. So that was I that was one of the best scenes of the series probably. They did mm -hmm. such a good job handling that situation. Yeah. And then we have the scene at the seashore, which Oh yeah. This is one that another thing I feel like it's 50/50 whether it gets included or not. And I liked that they had a scene at the seashore. 
I just I really like them talking together, basically opening up, and they clear up the misunderstanding about she thinks Beth loves Laurie at the beginning. And here's the thing that was slightly confusing to me in that conversation when Beth was like, you know, don't you? When yeah. Joe says yes, is she saying yes, I think you're in love with Laurie, or yeah. yes, I know that you're dying? No, she thinks, Joe thinks Beth is talking about loving Laurie. Right. And Beth thinks Joe is talking about knowing that she's dying. And then starts talking about the visit to the doctor and yes. everything. And then they realize that they're on two different tracks, they clear it up and move on. Which I like that they did that quickly instead of... That could have turned into some sort of a <laughs> oh, <laughs> misunderstanding yeah. drama. Situation's icky enough as it is. Yeah. But another thing that's interesting about that scene is that it shows Joe trying to... Sort of her free spirit, trying to let go and enjoy the ocean. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Beth is just on the shore, not getting any bunch of any minerals out of this experience. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. We should have had her at least kind of wade out in there. Yeah, with Joe holding on to her or something. But then you have all the sad talk about not wanting to worry their parents, and she wants Joe to look after their parents when she's gone. How she didn't hadn't wanted to be a burden by talking about her problem. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, at first she didn't know what was going on, so she didn't know that was actually a problem or that she was dying and then she finds out oh yeah okay i am mm-hmm. and it's interesting how they handled telling the parents too and just that whole emotional scene with her mother taking mm. off and not being able to protect her anymore and just to really yeah they they really go into more of the struggles that an actual mother might have in these different situations yeah And Joe does a really good job being strong, but they have a realistic combination of Joe being strong and also struggling deeply with the situation. And even though, like I said, I didn't feel like this was the best Marmy, I feel like she was a very realistic mother figure in Mm -hmm. this scene especially. The dad was super chill. Like, they didn't have him falling apart at all over Mm -hmm. death. He was kind of a rock. And mixed in throughout all this, you have Lori and Amy meeting up in Europe. And they have their conversation about not being geniuses. Which I liked that they included. Because that is from the book, too, and it's not Mm. something that they usually talk about. Because they didn't touch on it much in this version, but Lori is into music. And Amy is into art. And they both want to be geniuses at their crafts. And in the book, they have to come to the realization that they're not going to be geniuses. <laughs> that they're, they can be okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> see, in this, you see them in Europe and you start to see how they really do suit each other more. How mm-hmm. you have Joe, who's this free spirit, more of an in- intense person, but with this intellectual side. And Professor Bear is gentle and he, he's interested in nurturing that intellectual side because that's what he likes too. And mm-hmm. then you have... Lori and Amy, who are like, we're a couple of okay young people, and we like being okay together, and (laughs) we're not going to be above average necessarily, but we, like, they're, how can I say this in a not insulting way? (laughs) (laughs) Their maturity level, their interests, their personalities. They balance out, yeah. they, They work together. Yeah. Yeah, like, all the couples on here work together. Mm -hmm. They seem realistic together. 
Oh, and one of the things that I remember from the book was the scene where she's supposed to be wearing white, I think, at a party, and how she's just managed to do herself up really beautifully, and then Lori comes across her looking beautiful, and they sort of captured that in this version, too, talking mm. about her with a tool on her skirt, and mm, yeah. I liked the scene about how, you know, it makes you shimmer like a moth in the light, you know, basically how this is great, unless you don't like moths. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I liked that they actually did spend some time on their relationship. I liked that you had Amy writing home, too. Like, mm -hmm. they didn't just have her off in Europe and all the, poof, they're, to, they're together. No, they, they really took the time. Yeah. They made it feel a lot more natural than some other versions have done, where it's kind of sudden, them getting together. Like, oh, we just realized that this is a uh -huh. good thing. And also the thing of when Beth dies, of Joe telling Lori to take care of Amy. Yeah. That's, one, uh, that's another thing to help bring them closer together. Yeah. yeah, the whole the death scene with Beth. It wasn't like a death scene, like you didn't see her, like collapse and die or whatever, but right. you had them gathering around for her last moments. And you had Marmy, Beth, dear, you're going to have to go on a journey, and you mustn't be afraid. You are always braver than you knew. Rest here until you're ready. That was a really great scene with them. And That's really a good touching. segue. So, yeah, she passes away, and Marmy tells Amy, just stay in Europe. And Lori is going to visit her every day. And then you have Joe bringing a box to her father. She, it was Beth's, and she wants she wants it somewhere where she can't see it. I think it was a sewing box. Yeah, I think her mother told her not to have it in her room. And dad, the dad's like, it can live with me, you know. Yeah. can have a home with me. That's an, that's an interesting thing, too, about this one is how... You really have the development of Joe as the caregiver of her sister, trying to help her family mm -hmm. and struggling to help Beth and how that has deeply affected her as a person. Mm -hmm. They didn't rush that. And I liked how they had her father kind of talking about that and telling her to like write through her grief. Right. And oh my goodness, that part where she's... Oh. Where she doesn't know what to write, and he says something like, Say, I remember a time when I was happy, or I was happy once. And just that line of, you know, I was happy once, and, and all these other things to say. It was, oh my goodness, it was deep. Mm. And it was so good. And, okay, I mean, it shines a light on how genuine her grief is and what she's going through. Like, it, he was... Yeah, that was, that was, my goodness, that was a very good part of the movie, mm -hmm. of the series. Yes. So she ends up writing a poem about Beth. Was that included in Little, you know, I mean, was it just a part of Little Women, or was there any kind of epilogue to Little Women with that poem? I don't know. Either way, it was a great poem. Also moving. Yeah, she sends it to an editor in Pennsylvania, and he immediately orders four stories and as many verses as she cares to write. And he says that he likes them because they were pure, warm, and honest. I also like that they cut away and they have Professor yes. Bear 
cutting out the poem yes. and putting it on his mantle. Somewhere in there, too, you have Meg talking to Joe, and Joe's broken her scissors, and she actually goes and mm. gets into the sewing basket, and she's, you know, gives yeah. a kiss to. It was that's Beth's that's how scissors. they cut away to Professor Bear because she tells her that she should cut the poem out, and she says that she just broke her scissors. So she goes to get the scissors out of Beth's box, and it cuts to Professor Bear cutting out the poem. Mm. And then you have Lori and Amy getting closer. They're the paper boat scene. Where they actually admit that they want to be mm -hmm. together forever. Yes, and then they end up writing home that they're engaged. And Marmy talks to Joe about it and says, Were you hoping that he'd ask you again? And she says, no, I was hoping he wouldn't, because I might have said yes, but not for the right reasons. Right. Which I liked that line. And then she just wanted to get back to what she was doing. Mm -hmm. And then you have everybody gathering to meet Amy and Laurie, coming home. And I don't know what prompted me to write this, but I just wrote that Meg's kids were really cute. <laughs> they were really cute. In this well, scene. bless you, because my <laughs> mind is going to, this scene was awkward. I don't know, I just like the babies. They, they were cute. Well, good for you. <laughs> because there's like this... You don't get this in the 40s one, but there is this tension where Lori... You almost get this tension with Lori of... Just a look on his face. And then she's hanging back, looking uncomfortable. And then at some point she just sort of makes herself jump in and happily hug Amy. Mm -hmm. And they come home, you know, they're already married and they hadn't told them. And Joe's a little bit upset about that. Anyway, I also, I didn't really like, part of me liked how Laurie handled this scene. And part of me didn't like how Laurie handled the scene. Because he comes upstairs and there's almost a little bit of coldness or defiance or something about him. Because he says that he has to get back to his wife soon. But basically he wants to have this conversation and the part where he does talk about how he loves her and will always love her, that's good. But how they've switched places in his heart. Yeah. That is good. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know, he may have had to get a little bit, a little tiny bit of venom right out of his system just to, just to be done with it. I mean, can't really blame him because he'd been deeply hurt. But there was, there was maybe a little bit of coldness there. But he gets past that. And then he just, can't we go back to being the way we were now? And then mm -hmm. she's like, no, because we're not kids anymore. <laughs> mm -hmm. And they do a really, they do a good job of showing how much she's changing and struggling at the same time. Because she was always the one who didn't want things to change. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, well, here we are. No going back. But things have to get better soon because the movie's nearly over. Yes, because right after this, you get the Aunt March death scene. Well, she not think death, I, she but doesn't die. She, I does mean, a she very dies good... off screen soon after this conversation. She does a place. good job playing somebody with a health problem. Though. Oh, yeah. So apparently so, she had a small stroke, and that's what's... She plays it really well. And Joe wants to make her eat some soup, and Aunt March is, you know, acting like she's being a little bossy. But they have this really great conversation about being old maids, basically. Yes, I wrote down a whole ton of quotes because there was so much going on in this scene that was really good. Well, go ahead. <laughs> she says, ordering your elders and fiddling with the sick. You've turned into an old maid, Josephine. 
I prefer to think of myself as a literary spinster. <laughs> and then later she says, We're both ants. There's a pleasure in it, as well as duty and vexation. The world should be kinder to us. Our lives are not without purpose. But mine is small, Aunt March. I feel it closing in on me. Yeah. I wasn't meant for a life like this. And, like, you could tell she's fading. And she just says, better times will come. Yeah, she doesn't want the soup just yet. But she wants to say... She makes a point to tell her that better times will come. And that was such a... That was a great scene. Yeah. You can see just how... You can see how much Joe is suffering under the weight of her current experiences. And I think that that's a really good segue to Aunt March giving her Plumfield. Yes. Because Aunt March was probably thinking about, well, here's what's happening with these others, but yet I now relate to this person. Mm -hmm. And I want her to be okay. Mm -hmm. And I want to bless her with this. And I'm ad-libbing. But that can be yeah, inferred. But, yeah, definitely. I, I think that's the main point of including the scene, because I don't think this was a scene in the book, but I think it made the transition very natural to her leaving her plum field. Yeah. Okay, so she's walking home from taking care of Aunt March. It's raining. She doesn't look super happy. Mm -hmm. And there's Professor Bear <laughs> standing there with his little umbrella. And he says something like, she thought she was going to come back to New York, and she says that she promised Beth that she would stay. And she apologizes for stopping writing, meaning to him, writing to him. Mm. But he says, you didn't. You wrote a poem. Oh, that was so sweet. And talking about how he keeps it next to his heart. Oh my mm -hmm. goodness. And then they go back home. And I'm not sure how much of this is taking place on the same day and how much is supposed to be time passing. Was he acting like he, he would be an intrusion or something? And she's like, she said something like, it's bit. just my family. Or... A little bit, but I think that that's, I think that's from the book because other versions have included that as well. Yeah, he's probably just trying to make sure he's being polite, yeah. even though his whole heart is like, yeah, I want to be with you. <laughs> but you have scenes of them all interacting with the family and Meg telling her that everyone really likes him. Yes. Like, they could have included more to develop that relationship because he does develop a friendship yes. with the dad. But, you know, we'll take what we can get yeah. here. And the fact that they had Amy being, like, have Amy be the one that's, like, everybody really likes him. That was pretty good. That was a pretty good inclusion there. And then it cuts to years later at the Bear Academy for Boys. Right. And they've turned Plumfield into a school. And I think Joe has two kids of her own. I can't remember for sure from the books, but she and Professor Bear are both holding a kid. I'm assuming that they're their children. You also have Amy, who seemingly has what looks to be maybe a four or five-year-old. Yes, Amy has one child. I do remember that from the book, Amy having one kid. Intimating that also that she's sickly. I think so. I think that was from the book, too. And Joe's talking about how she's getting gray hairs, and it was a good line. Because somewhere in there mm. they're talking about how nothing is ever perfect, but things can be just right. Yep, that's exactly that's all a, right. That's an interesting, that was an interesting note to end it on, and yeah. realistic. Yes, it was. <laughs> I liked that one. Because, they, yeah, they really had her grow up. And it's also it also kind of ties in 
to earlier when she's talking about how I like to teach boys better than girls. Basically, don't tell the girls, but mm -hmm. so it makes it even more natural transition for her to have a school for boys. Mm -hmm. And like we talked about, they ever wanted to do a sequel to this. Yeah. This gives way more room for that. And this, this wasn't made that long ago. It was like four years ago. So they There's could easily definitely time. So they could easily do Little Men. Yeah, definitely. I w I hope they do. I wish they would. I don't know if they plan to, but if they don't do Joe's Boys, that's okay. But if they did Little Men, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, this honestly is one of my favorite adaptations of the story. They did a pretty good job. Yeah. They included so much more that doesn't usually get included. I liked all of the portrayals of the different characters. Of course, I loved Aunt March. She's my favorite. <laughs> they finally got the love interests right. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't perfect, but, but it was it was a lot good. closer and yeah, very very heartwarming. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, you could sum this series up as heartwarming. And while they included harder things, they also softened different things. So it's pretty digestible. Mm -hmm. You're not necessarily going to, especially if you're already familiar with the story, you're not really going to get torn apart. You might feel a little teary here and there or something, but yeah. So there you have it. Okay. Well, I guess that's going to be all for now. Um, we'll probably do more Little Women in the future, but... I think we're going to take a break from Little Women for a while. I've been doing this for, well, last two months I've been releasing it. I'm working on it for like three months, so I'm ready for a new story. Sure. I think we'll move on to Alice in Wonderland for a while. We haven't done that in a while. And then loop back to that terrible 1930s version or something. <laughs> we'll get there one of these days. <laughs> Bye. Thank you to Sarah for joining me for this episode. Like we said at the end there, next time we're moving on to another story, we're going to be going back to an old favorite, Alice in Wonderland. But before we get into Alice, I will be taking off next week from this podcast, both because I've got a bunch of work to do for my other podcast on iHeartMovies, but also because my schedule at work and my day job is very full. I don't have enough hours in the week for everything I want to do sometimes. But there's still a lot to look forward to. I've got some great new episodes coming, as well as some old favorites from back in the day on Wonderland Wednesday. So make sure to come back next month for more Alice in Wonderland on every version ever. Thanks for listening.